0: When she looks back, Rose says she can see these little clues, that she wasn't hearing the world the way other people were.
1: When I was six or seven years old, I started noticing a pattern. She'd hear her name being called. Usually my mom or dad, for the first time, in like a, you know, like a yelling, like,
0: ah, where are you? And I'd say, I'm right here. And she'd look up. Surprised that they were shouting at her. They'd been calling and calling, but Rose would only hear that last exasperated yell. Her parents joked about it. They called it selective hearing. But it was a big enough problem that every year or two, they'd take her for a hearing test.
1: I'd be in a booth, I'd have the headphones on. She'd ace them every time. I'd have to, like, press a button when I heard the tone. Yep, I heard that. Yep, I heard that. Yep, I heard that. And I'd always hear things,
0: um, like, past uh, average level. You know, I had healthy ears. It was the mystery of Rose's childhood. The test said she could hear, but Rose knew she couldn't. I'm Mary Harris, and this is Only Human, a show about how our bodies work and what happens when they do things we can't explain and send us on a search for answers. Quick warning here at the top, this episode mentions a sex act. I should tell you, Rose isn't her real name. Because this problem, it's been hard. Sure, she could pass those tests in a quiet doctor's office. But in the real world, Rose missed things. And if you put her in a noisy place, even if it was just a little noisy, it was almost like she heard too much. Say she was in a classroom. She heard the buzz of electricity, and the hum of an air conditioner, and the sound of kids whispering. The noises all piled up, one on top of the other, and they drowned out whatever she was trying to pay attention to. Other times, she says it was like she was cut off from sound by an imaginary wall. For most of her childhood, Rose handled her hearing problem the only way she knew how. She tried to ignore it. But when she got to high school...
1: I started to feel like, you know, something was wrong. I knew I was happy, and I knew I was strong and smart and all these things, but um, but there was something that was different. In certain situations, I couldn't keep up.
0: So she developed workarounds.
1: People get frustrated when you say, what, a lot. And I started being sensitive to that. I had this rule,
0: I called it my max what. That's the maximum number of times she'd let herself ask, What? in a conversation.
1: And it would just started dwindling down like it went from 4 to 2 and after so many whats and if i if i still didn't hear i'd just take a stab at it.
0: So you would go into a conversation and you'd get to four whats or two whats and then what?
1: And then i would take a chance and either smile and nod or shake my head, you know, because I didn't realize the extent that I was listening through all these other um, signals, body language, facial expression, hand movements, like I was doing that all along. So I was most often right when I took a chance in my reaction, people would look at me and be like, Oh, yeah," you know, they would just kind of continue with the conversation. And I knew I had reacted sufficiently (laughs) or something.
0: Was there like a time where it was just like, Oh, that didn't work?
1: Yes. I was, in high, I was 17 or 18. I was actually traveling. I was in Australia and I was with family. Um, I was at this kind of like restaurant that also had a dance floor, a nightclub, and um, this guy asked me to dance. He kept leaning in and, you know, just talking to me, and I just kept
0: smiling and nodding. Remember, it's the middle of a dance floor, it's noisy. Rose couldn't hear much of anything. And I guess
1: I kind of agreed to something that I did not really agree to because then he kind of took my hand and started leading me towards like the back of the bar. And when I kind of pulled back and said, where are you going?
0: He made a really crude gesture, the universal sign for a blowjob And Rose freaked out.
1: I could see he was like offended and confused. And that's when I realized like this could be dangerous. And then it was just like, no more what's. No more smiling and nodding. You know, let's figure this out.
0: That was when Rose decided. She had to figure out why her world seemed to sound so different than everyone else's. She went to see a neurologist. And that doctor began to suspect Rose's problem wasn't with her ears. It was with her brain. That's how Rose... I'm Nina. I'm Nina Krauss. ...found Nina Kraus. Krauss runs a lab at Northwestern University.
2: The auditory neuroscience lab is where I do science. She specializes in how the brain perceives sound. She's nicknamed this place
0: the Brainvolts Lab.
2: This is all about sound being this fabulous and invisible, yet very powerful
0: force. And let me just set the scene here, because if you had a favorite professor in college, it would probably be someone a lot like Nina Krauss. She has a Grateful Dead sticker on her office door— she bikes to work, even in the Chicago winters. And she loves playing the electric guitar. In her lab, Krauss uses EEGs, electroencephalograms, to study how the brain responds to sound. And to really tell you what was happening with Rose, I need to explain how this test works. So, I asked Krauss to give me one. Okay, what are you doing? One of her lab assistants sticks electrodes to my head with a special glue.
1: I am also going to be putting electrodes on your right and left
0: earlobes. So we're creating a circuit. And stuffs my ears with earbuds that play a series of tones. Those electrodes record my brain activity. It looks like a lot of squiggles moving across a computer screen. A technician in a separate room watches as these peaks and valleys scroll by. And then we average that together and you can actually see her brain's response sort of, like, emerge as the background brain activity sort of washes out in the averaging process. It's nerdy, but I kind of find it peaceful to sort of, like, see the waves emerge. These waves are proof that our brains are listening. Think of the neurons firing in your brain like an audience clapping. It's a chaos of signals, responding to all kinds of sensory inputs. But when you hear a sound, neurons in the brain begin to clap in unison. It's called neural synchrony, and that's what this test is measuring, the speed and accuracy of the brain's response to sound. This clapping happens within microseconds of a sound being heard, and as cells fire in unison, waves appear on the EEG. These waves, it turns out they look an awful lot like sound waves, which is how Krauss and some colleagues got an idea. Could they play an EEG waveform out over a speaker? And what would it sound like? They found that when a normal brain, a brain like mine, processes sound, that EEG I'm getting sounds like the audio I'm listening to. It's a hard idea to get the hang of. So here's an example. Say I was listening to a simple scale. The EEG of my brain would sound like this. These are the sounds of actual brainwaves from actual test subjects in Krauss's lab. That fuzzy noise you hear is the crackle of neural activity in the background. And this happens whether you're listening to Mozart or Smoke on the Water. And that brings us back to Rose her brainwaves would have sounded like this. Rose didn't have neural synchrony. Remember, that's the super fast brain cell coordination that this EEG is looking for. Rose remembers how confusing it was to hear that news.
1: And the results to that test came out completely different than what a a normal functioning person's results should be. They came back continuously as if I'd been in a car accident or born severely autistic or, like, it just didn't make sense.
0: Actually, this test showed Rose's brain looked deaf. Her condition didn't have a name yet. But Nina Krauss had seen it before. When we come back, how Rose helped Krauss understand something new about the brain and how Krauss helped Rose understand herself. This is Only Human. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. If this is your first time hearing Only Human, go back and check out our earlier episodes. We'd love to hear what you think. Leave a comment for us at onlyhuman.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Only Human. Also, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the show. You can do that in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, think about leaving a review. It helps other people find us. I'm Mary Harris, and this is Only Human. I've been telling the story of Rose, who was a teenager when a test showed that her brain's response to sound was almost entirely absent. It was a kind of brain deafness. Her ears could hear sound, but most of the time, her brain couldn't make sense of it.
2: Nina Krauss, the researcher who spotted Rose's problem, had seen it before. We had called these kids, these kids. Oh, we saw another one of those kids. Because we didn't have, there wasn't a diagnosis. You know, when I said those kids, we knew we were talking about somebody who had normal hearing thresholds and not very measurable brain responses. Those kids were rare. Krauss would come across them just once or twice a year.
0: And they often had other diagnoses. They had behavior problems or attention deficit disorders, learning disabilities. But they'd found their way to Krauss because all of them were deaf in noise. When they were somewhere quiet, they might be able to hear well. But in a noisy place, hearing became all but impossible. Rose was different. Being deaf in noise was her only symptom. So she was a
2: perfect subject for Krauss. She became almost a partner in her research. Really, I I was learning as much if not more from her than she from me. Rose told Krauss that understanding the world around her took a huge amount of effort.
1: Because if I hear it, that's one step, but then I have to kind of like process it. She said
2: how fatiguing it is to be making sense of sound or trying to make sense of sound. Rose helped
0: Krauss understand this, neural synchrony is the key to actually making sense of everything we hear. And that's important for people with all kinds of
2: problems. You know, when people have um, concussions, when we get older, uh, you know, we have difficulty hearing in noise. And we really rely on this neural synchrony. We really rely on the brain's ability to make these fine, fast timing
0: computations. Nina Krause thinks understanding how our brains process sound could also be a kind of early warning system. So do you remember wearing the buttons from last year?
2: Yes. Yes.
0: That's one of Krause's assistants, and Parker.
2: Do they feel funny? Yeah, they feel funny. Ooh, it started. I think it's starting.
0: These days, Krause's lab spends a lot of time testing kids like him.
2: Do you remember where the next two buttons go? You're going to put them on this seal.
0: Parker's part of a sample of children Krauss will follow for years. He's getting that same EEG test Krauss did on Rose and on me. Krauss wants to see if she can predict how the kids' brains will function as they get older. The test measures how the children process not just clicks and tones but syllables and word fragments. The kids will listen to these sounds over and over again, so Krauss can get an accurate picture of how their brains
2: respond. She's
0: found that differences in the way we process sound can be a marker for problems that seem to have nothing to do
2: with hearing. Take, for instance, people with autism. A child or a person on the autism spectrum typically does not have difficulty understanding what words were said. What the difficulty is, is understanding how do you mean it. Krauss' test shows that some autistic children
0: don't encode pitch well. And that's important, because your tone of voice carries a lot of information. Am I mad? Am I sad? Am I asking a question? Krause sees other kinds of processing differences in other people she studied. Just this summer, she published research showing she could actually predict which children would develop reading disorders simply by analyzing their EEGs when they're preschoolers. Kids with reading difficulties often have brain cells that don't fire in sync. It's actually a less extreme version of what Rose had. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I met Rose recently in her stylish townhouse in Chicago. Everything here is picture perfect, including Rose herself, in a crisp white shirt and black trousers. You'd never guess she's been keeping a secret about how she hears the world. Though she has a name for her disorder now, auditory neuropathy. Rose is 42 now, and two decades after her diagnosis, she still has trouble making out what's going on around her. When do you tell people about it, or do you tell people about it?
1: I don't. I mean, it's only when I get close to someone that that it's even mentioned. Like you, a good friend, after you know being friends for a while, will say like, "You have a hearing problem, right? Like, are you deaf? Is it the left ear or the right ear?" Do you feel at peace with it? No, I don't. I'm always on my toes with my ears, you know. And if someone really kind and interesting is, like, engaging me in a conversation, like, it's, I'm not relaxed. Ever. And I lose a part of myself because I'm really myself when I'm, you know, relaxed.
0: At work, she relies on the same coping mechanisms she used in high school. She takes a lot of notes And instead of making phone calls, she uses email and texts. Her close friends know she misses things in conversation, and they've learned to fill in the gaps.
2: Princesses, don't wear this. Rose says
0: even her preschool-aged daughter, who was trying on princess outfits during my visit, knows she has to help her mom.
1: When we're upstairs playing and the downstairs phone, you know, the landline rings, she'll, she knows at this point, like, she's already kind of becoming my ears. Mommy, the phone's ringing. I'll be like, oh, thanks. Thank you, babe. You know, she knows she needs to tell me or that someone's at the door. If I'm playing with her and I'm focused on her, you know, someone could call all they want. I wouldn't, would not hear it.
0: You can hear that Rose sounds wistful. She tells me about a daydream she has. It's about something completely mundane. She just wants to be able to walk down a busy street with a friend and talk. And then she tells me, I'm lucky I can hear so well. I just wish I could hear well. a transcript of this episode at OnlyHuman.org. Rose's story was part of a series about how we experience the world through sound. You can listen to more of those stories. Just subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Only Human is a production of WNYC Studios. This episode was edited by Molly Messick and mixed by Michael Rafiel. Our team includes Amanda Aranchik, Paige Cowett, Elaine Chen, Kenny Malone, Fred Mogul, Ankita Rao, Lisa Rappaport, and Jillian Weinberger. Our technical director is Casey Means. Our executive producer is Lital Malad. Jim Schachter is the vice president for news at WNYC. And I'm Mary Harris. Talk to you soon. Support for WNYC's health coverage and Only Human is provided by the Torina Endowment Fund, the Hearst Foundation's Jane and Gerald Catcher the Iris and Junming Lee Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Simons Foundation, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, and the Winston Foundation.